lot of the providers are going to see a lot more pressure for online engagement, doing things in metaverse, doing things with online communities attached to CLE programs for discussion groups. I just think we're going to see this seismic shift from in-person live networking events to more expanded online learning resources for attorneys. I've been in the CLE world for nine years and for nine years, every year, everyone kept saying, you know, when's that transition going to happen when we're not going to print books anymore and not do live events? And it just hasn't come to fruition yet. But I think we're carrying our heads in the sand if we don't recognize that that's going to be a seismic change in how our customers want education delivered. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead, a podcast that challenges the notion that the law lags behind. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Each week, I invite a lawyer who's making powerful changes through extraordinary leadership. In each episode, we'll travel through another lawyer's life, identify what they do best, and then devise how to apply these concepts to your own world. So let's get to it. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. This episode is a special edition episode. I just arrived back from another amazing meeting at the Association for Continuing Legal Education, also known as ACLIA. This, by the way, for anyone who's not familiar, is a conference that occurs twice a year and is the place to be for great minds responsible for the education, training, and professional development of lawyers around the world. Joining us today is the president-elect of ACLIA. He is also the assistant executive director of the Illinois State Bar Association. Please welcome Tim Slating. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Go. Pleasure to be here. So let's jump right in. Can we dig a little bit into what you do at the Illinois State Bar Association? So I'm the assistant executive director that oversees all of our communications efforts. I oversee press relations, our website, our bar journal, all of our newsletters, our blogs, um, basically anything related to communications at the ISBA. I'm in charge of all of that and uh, have a wonderful staff that does most of the heavy lifting, but I kind of quarterback the whole effort. Fantastic. And just to clarify, can you explain what the difference is between a voluntary bar and a mandatory bar? So mandatory bars are typically state agencies, and they also have the responsibility of lawyer regulation. So they handle disciplinary matters involving lawyers and they implement the ethical rules governing lawyers. But voluntary state bars, we have a separate state entity. So in Illinois, it's the Attorney Registration and Disciplinary Commission, and they handle the licensure of attorneys and the discipline of attorneys. And our state bar association is basically a trade association. So lawyers don't have to join the Illinois state bar. It's completely voluntary. It's not tied to their license status to practice law, um, but we do pretty much the same things that mandatory state bars do. So really the only difference between mandatory state bars and voluntary state bars is the mandatory bars also handle that licensure and disciplinary piece as an arm of the state government. Thank you for that explanation. And just to further clarify for anyone that's listening that doesn't know, that's very different from having mandatory CLE within a state. Correct. Attorneys in Illinois, they have to report 30 hours of credit every two years. Of course, we're one of the biggest providers in Illinois. There are a couple other big ones, as well as a few national providers like Lawline that are really active in Illinois. And I should 
probably back up and point out, I think I forgot to mention publications when I talked about what I oversee. So that's really the tie-in in my role to continuing legal education and my involvement in ACLIA. Uh, it has to do with all of our legal book publications that happen within the ISBA. And I'm primarily responsible for all of the book publications. And a lot of these publications are around what topic areas? Oh, we publish standard desk books for attorneys. We have a book on the Illinois Rules of Evidence, um, books about sentencing and bond hearings in Illinois, basic real estate closing books, just general desk books that cover standard traditional practice areas. Tim, I know that volunteerism is really important to you. Why did you decide that ACLIA was the best place for you to volunteer and serve? It was really mainly because of my oversight of our books program. So ACLIA was really the home of CLE departments that put on CLE seminars and CLE programming. But a lot of state bars have their publications department also underneath the umbrella of their CLE department. So ACLIA has a robust community of folks who make books for bar associations and other CLE providers. While I'm not per se part of the CLE department at the ISBA, we're organized as such that our books are underneath the communications department. But since I oversee those, the other colleagues in the industry who do the same things as I do, they all are a part of ACLIA. So that's how I initially got involved. Um, and I came to my first ACLIA meeting probably within three months of being hired by the bar. And when I was originally hired, I was just hired to run the books program. So it made a whole lot of sense to start sending me and getting me involved because my primary job was overseeing those books. Now, fast forward nine years, I've gotten a few promotions and now I'm running all of our communications, but I still remain the primary responsible staff member for our books program. So that's where my involvement stems from. So why did you start going into leadership positions at ACLIA? It really just kind of happened organically. I started out, I think I became the chair of ACLIA's publications special interest group. What some organizations would call sections, but in ACLIA, they're called special interest groups. So initially, I think I was the chair of the publication SIG. And then after that, I got appointed to be, there's also a special interest group for state and provincial bar associations. And I was the chair of that for a little while. And then I became the chair of the communications committee, which oversees ACLIA's blog, email activities, and social media. I've done that for about six years now, I think. And I'm just now about to hand the reins over to a new communications committee. And then I got put on a couple planning committees. And then after that, the leadership invited me to run for a position on the executive committee, which is basically actually as board of directors, but we call it our executive committee. I got appointed to the executive committee and then I ran for secretary. In theory, I would have become the treasurer after my year as secretary, but due to the then treasurer stepping down, I got moved into the treasurer position and they ended up running me on the ballot as the president-elect. I won the election a few months ago, so I think my days of running in elections are over. I think now that I'm the president-elect, I just automatically become the president next year at the annual meeting. What a great journey. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been definitely worthwhile. So what is like one or two insights that you gained from the most recent ACLIA conference in Vancouver? I think just the notion that we're still in a transitionary period after the pandemic, just the conflict between whether folks are ready to come back for in-person CLE seminars or not. 
what I gathered from talking with the colleagues and what I've seen in my own shop at the ISBA, I think we're kind of at a middle point where some folks want to come back to live and other folks still want to stay with on demand. So I think that was the biggest development is just learning how different CLE providers are navigating those waters. I think everyone's of the opinion that we obviously still need to be doing on-demand programming. We need to start trying to do some live programming, but the big question mark is the hybrid. Is it really worth the extra effort of trying to stream something live while you're doing an in-person seminar? What I sensed by putting my finger on the pulse of everybody is everyone's getting a little skeptical about the hybrid. And we're not really sure that there's a customer base we're serving by jumping through all these hoops to try to live stream live programming. And I think what we're going to start seeing is folks saying recording it is enough. If somebody's not there live for the in-person event, there's really not a lot of value add to them watching it live at home. They're just as happy watching the on demand at home whenever their schedule suits them. So maybe that hybrid model might be fading away, but we'll see. Yeah, it's interesting because there are still a lot of states that require some sort of live credit requirement. So in those situations where people are not comfortable with, let's say, the in-person model, but hybrid models are not necessarily the most effective way for providers to provide that, it kind of leaves attorneys in different states in kind of a conundrum. It's an interesting thing to take a look at and to kind of keep a pulse on as well, because Yes, whereas something like our conference, hybrid might not make most sense. How does that affect, let's say, on a state level for providers that have that live credit requirement? So luckily, we don't have that issue in Illinois. We don't have any carve out for live in-person CLE credit. Illinois attorneys can get all of their credit on demand and not run afoul of the official CLE rule. I think we're going to start seeing movement in other states with those live requirements that You know, they're either going to start granting waivers that might ultimately turn into permanent rule changes, or we might just see permanent rule changes start coming out. And here's a third option, which is create live in-person events in the metaverse where you can ask questions and everyone can see each other, which majority of the time will fulfill those live CLE requirements, but in a way that still allows people to not come in person if they're not comfortable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I'm no expert on CLE regulations, but my gut would tell me that the way the regulations are written for in-person, you can make an easy argument if you're doing it in the metaverse that this is an in-person event that is happening in real time and is happening live and you are attending. In my mind, if they're allowing hybrid programs to count as live attendance, I really don't see the argument that something happening in the metaverse wouldn't also check that box. And that was a great session, by the way, by Kareem Girgis. Kareem's session on the future of education and the metaverse was absolutely fantastic. So what is one thing that you would change about the way attorneys are educated? That's a hard question. I mean, each attorney learns differently. Me personally, I I learn a lot by reading. And a few handful of states allow attorneys to receive credit from reading. Illinois is not one of those states. And I know the devil's in the details with that and how to track compliance and to ensure that the attorney is actually doing what they've certified doing. But, you know, to my mind, I think some rules should be relaxed in regards to reading requirements. You know, and other people learn by visual. And I think it's great that attorneys can watch on-demand videos when it suits their schedule to get their credits. 
all attorneys learn in different ways. Absolutely. If the purpose is to help attorneys stay apprised and educated so that they can best represent their clients, then adjusting to various learning needs um, would be the most effective way to do that. Yeah, it is tough from a reading perspective to address, let's say, some of the tracking, but there are other continuing education um, practices out there that are for different industries that have achieved that. Like, for example, accountants have quizzes. So you can read things and then take quizzes to kind of test whether you've retained the right amount of information to pass and get the credit that you needed. So we can look to other regulated industries to see how they do it as well. Yeah. And stuff like that is happening in some states too. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, I serve as the editor and publisher of the Illinois Bar Journal. Um, And in that role, you know, I receive all the bar journals from every other state bar association in the United States. And I can't remember exactly which jurisdiction, but there are a handful of bar journals that include a quiz at the end of the bar journal. And in those jurisdictions, the attorneys can read the bar journal answer a one-page quiz on the back page of the bar journal, tear that out and send it into the bar association to get credit for reading the bar journal. So, you know, that model does exist in some jurisdictions. And again, I'm not positive which jurisdiction, but I guarantee if there's at least one in the United States. So what is your vision for continuing legal education and professional development for lawyers in the future? I think it's going to constantly be a moving target. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that our customers right now are potentially spanning four generations. I mean, we still have active boomer members who like to network. They like to go to in-person events and they like to see each other and see people that they haven't seen since, you know, the state planning update from last year. We have the Gen Xers who, you know, I think some of them still like to come and network at in-person events, but they're also more familiar with online delivery mechanisms. And then you start looking at the millennials and Gen Z. But, you know, these learning methods are constantly shifting. And I think the biggest challenge is as we see those boomers move out of our customer base, I think a lot of the providers are going to see a lot more pressure for online engagement, doing things in the metaverse, doing things with online communities attached to CLE programs for discussion groups. I just think we're going to see this seismic shift from in-person live networking events to more expanded online learning resources for attorneys. And I'm not sure when that transition is going to be completely happening. I mean, Like I said, I've been in the CLE world for nine years and for nine years, every year, everyone kept saying, you know, when's that transition going to happen when we're not going to print books anymore and not do live events? And it just hasn't come to fruition yet. But I think we're kind of burying our heads in the sand if we don't recognize that that is coming, that that's going to be a seismic change in how our customers want education delivered to them. I agree. And I think it really hits the nail on the head that it's extremely important, in addition to continuing to look and serve the customers that we have today, to also ensure that we're constantly looking to what the next generations of lawyers want to learn, how they want to learn. And I think it's really insightful, this idea that perhaps more than ever before, we're seeing CLE providers having to address various generations. I don't know why that is, but it seems like that's a relatively new thing, maybe because we're healthier and we're living longer and we're staying longer in the workforce. Maybe we're finding more fulfillment. I don't know what it is. 
But to have four different generations that we're thinking about and having to serve is very interesting. I mean, I see a lot of providers trying to put out content that's going to satisfy all four of those demographics. And that is a tough nut to crack. So in my mind, I'd almost think of it within the next five years, we might kind of have to bifurcate the programming we're doing and, you know, not try to satisfy everybody. Yeah, absolutely. What can we expect to see under your leadership in future meetings? Our focus this year, and it will probably extend into next year, is a theme of trying to build a thriving community within ACLIA. And that's a multifaceted statement there. Really the linchpin to what we're focusing on It's kind of some of the topics that we've been talking about. It's the notion that there are certain ACLIA members that still aren't comfortable coming back to live in-person conferences. Traditionally, that's been the main focus of ACLIA is every six months we come together for a mid-year conference and six months later we come together for an annual conference. And while a big proportion of our membership is eager to get back at that, We can't do that to the detriment of the members who still want to stay involved and still want to feel engaged, but, you know, aren't aren't ready to travel across the country yet for a foreign aid conference. So what we're really trying to do is build ways to engage these members online, um, which we primarily do through our ACLIA listservs, which are pretty active. Um, And what we're doing is earlier, I mentioned ACLIA's special interest groups, which are kind of the sections within ACLIA. And what we're really doing is driving our chairs and leadership of those sections and committees to start engaging the members through online Zoom meetings between our mid-year and our annual meetings so that we can drive that online engagement throughout the year. And members have multiple entry points into ACLIA. If they're really hungry for that in-person conference experience, we'll still be providing that. But if they're now more hungry for online engagement, then we also need to be providing that too. So that's the primary focus of Gina's year. We started this last year in Kristen Hutari's year, and I think it's going to carry over into my year as president. Well, I want to thank you, Tim, so much for all your insights today. I want to thank you so much for continuing to serve the CLE industry. If anyone wanted to connect with you, what is the best way that they can do that? Well, my email address is tslading, S as in Sam, L-A-T-I-N-G at I-S-B-A dot O-R-G. So that's probably the easiest way, just shooting me an email or finding me on social media. I'm active on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, and you can just find me by searching for Tim Sladen. Thanks so much, Tim. I really appreciate it and can't wait to talk soon. All right. Thanks, Gal. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, leaders and future leaders, for listening today. We have a new guest every week, so don't forget to join us next week. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe or follow us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also follow at Lawyers Who Lead on social. Let's celebrate and continue to build a community of leaders in law together. Lawyers Who Lead is made possible by Lawline, the leading online platform for lawyers who want engaging, relevant CLE and professional growth content. For over 20 years, Lawline has helped hundreds of thousands of attorneys level up by providing award-winning courses in hard-to-find areas and high-demand fields. They have so many courses to choose from that are actually really interesting to listen to and watch. That's why Lawline's rated the highest in the industry with over 1,000 verified reviews on Trustpilot. Lawyers Who Lead listeners get $100 off Lawline's unlimited annual subscription, which means you can take as many courses as you want for a really good price. Just visit lawline.com slash podcast 
to get the special offer. Check out Lawline for the best content for leaders and future leaders in legal.